Good day. I'm Dr. Charles Dedham. I'm chairman of TMIT Global and one of the co-founders of the MedTech Bystander Rescue Care Program. I'll be both a speaker and your moderator today. We're so very blessed you're joining us to learn how to keep your family safe. Um, it's my pleasure to really uh, have uh, the honor of introducing Jennifer Dingman. We always start our programs with the voice of the patient. Jennifer has been a steadfast patient advocate for many years. She was a winner of the Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award uh, for the great work that she did with a, another, with a group, a small group of patient advocates who meet every other Saturday. And were, they were able to generate enough net of a net network grassroots uh, 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 force to help the um, Centers for Disease, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid to put through their first uh, pay for performance program for the HACS, the hospital acquired uh, conditions, which is now we're waiting for the final data, Jenny, but uh, we know it's in the tens of billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of lives that were saved and wouldn't have been possible without you and your colleagues on your Saturday morning group. So Jenny, would you please uh, start us off and help set our compass heading uh, for what we're to do today? Thank you, Dr. Denham, for such kind words and for allowing me to be here today. This webinar is very important with the ever-changing coronavirus pandemic that we're going through right now. I'm a bit encouraged by the videos that we just saw at Dr. Fauci's words, um, but again, we must always remain vigilant and, and do what we're told to do by science and by our doctors. If ever there was a time to listen to our doctors, it's right now. I'm looking forward to the program today and hearing all of the participants um, who are participating in the panel and the speakers. And again, I thank everyone for being here. Please share these webinars with your colleagues, family, and friends. And I'll hand it back to you, Dr. Denham. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, we're so privileged to have you and this wonderful uh, panel. Um, you'll hear from those of you that are uh, that are listening to this uh, in its post-recorded phase, where we treat this like a TV show that we're filming for very broad broadcast. And so uh, Dr. Greg Boats won't be on today for the, the live program, but for the recorded program, uh, he's in the ICU right now in, uh, at MD Anderson, and they are swamped. Uh, and uh, he will be providing some uh, assistance. You'll hear a recorded message from uh, David Beshk, a, a world-class uh, teacher and co-founder of our, our school program for our MedTech uh, uh, program, which was launched uh, long before COVID hit. It was in 2015. Keith Flitner is a community leader, a scout leader, uh, and uh, someone who has done a wonderful job in the community here in Orange County to help lead young people. Uh, Chief uh, Bill Adcox is with us live today, who will help us understand and, and he will have a message for our professional first responders, but really all of us. And he is a terrific leader uh, and a, a real pathfinder in the area of threat safety science. You'll hear a recorded session from Heather Foster, who is also uh, a, a professional caregiver in the ICU uh, at, uh, in, the, in the mountains. And then uh, Charlie Denham, along with David Bashka, will cover the topics of the holiday uh, lifeguard program that was launched 
actually two uh, Thanksgivings ago, just as we were really feeling the crunch uh, and uh, a checklist that could be used for gathering. Uh, David Morris will be in our pro on our long-term program, uh, who is a forensic a psychologist, uh, a JD, also with a message for first responders and our essential workers. Randy Steiner is the leader of emergency uh, response for the University of California, Irvine, and a wonderful community leader. You'll hear from him live today. Uh, Danny Policicio has, uh, we, we're thrilled to have Danny on. He is a winner of our Soaring Eagle Award. He saved a life with the MedTAC program uh, that we, had taught. He was our cameraman, but also was certified and then saved a life in New York City. He's an NYU uh, film student, and uh, and we're delighted to have him represent the young people uh, and our our youth and uh, our program uh, for uh, high schools and colleges. John Little is a wonderful uh, contributor to faith-based organizations. Uh, he has been a, a medic. He's been a uh, police officer, uh, a uh, rescue diver uh, with uh, LAPD, and probably treated more gunshot wounds than many of the doctors that are on today. And we're delighted to have you on with us, John, today. So this is uh, the group that will be reacting to segments that, that we'll cover. Very briefly, um, the MedTech program started in 2015 uh, with uh, Dr. Boats and Chief Adcox who's on today. There are a number of articles that we've written in Safety Campus Safety Magazine. There'll be a seventh article upcoming uh, with uh, really directed towards our young people uh, and uh, helping them with a, a four-point checklist to make sure that they uh, and their friends get the proper care uh, for emergencies uh, that include um, a uh, uh, having a medical power of attorney with their parents, knowing how to put uh, the right setting on their phones for emergencies, knowing where the closest uh, trauma wound uh, centers are, uh, and also knowing uh, wh why it's so important to have medical records uh, um, uh, where they need to to be. This is our, our, our program. Uh, uh, the MedTech program is on our website, uh, and we're very, very blessed to uh, have, um, uh, have uh, uh, undertaken a 1,000 uh, worker study. Uh, this study, uh, we started at the very beginning of the coronavirus crisis. It's 1,000 households. It's allowed us to focus on the uh, readiness, response, rescue, recovery, and resilience, which you hear over and over again in our programs. Our focus was to, fo our, our, our intention was to focus on the head, heart, hands, and voice. Uh, what do you need to know? What do you need to uh, feel? And because emotion and the heart is how we really motivate people uh, to act. Uh, hands, what do we need to do? And voice, what can we share with others uh, to help uh, keep them safe? Um, uh, over the uh, 2021, I won't read over the list of uh, the work that we've undertaken. Uh, however, we've undertaken more than 40 90-minute broadcasts, 20 Survive and Thrive programs like this one, and uh, have a number of programs uh, in place. And we're just delighted to have everybody uh, involved. And those of you who are with us for the first time, please go to our website, and you'll be able to attend and, and for free any of the 90-minute programs to address a lot of these issues. Issues. Now, Danny Policicio is one of the student leaders that helped us put together a vaccination conversation video uh, to help move the movable middle. Danny is uh, is uh, complimented by uh, a number of um, uh, wonderful students from some of our leading universities uh, who are participants in the program, uh, and we're delighted to have them uh, uh, be involved. Um, also, the organizations you see before you, many of you are, 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 are part of a formal program that we 
we have uh, with your medical center uh, to address a lot of the issues that we're talking about today. So enough for enough for who we are and what we're doing. Um, uh, Chief Adcox, Dr. Boats and I started a community of practice uh, in 2018 to focus on around 30 of the emerging threats. What are the threats that our leaders, both visible and invisible, um, we need to be concerned about? And it's pretty interesting that one of them was preparing for epidemics and pandemics because we knew uh, this problem was coming. We also knew that fraud was a critical issue and we're, we're really focused on anti-fraud, um, uh, an anti-fraud approach uh, to a number of documentation issues that are striking us. Uh, the organizations you see before you are just a handful of some that are participating in this with us. So that's a little background on us. Okay, so what should we what should we think about as we uh, are focused on on Omicron? Uh, and the three things that Dr. Fauci addressed that were really, really critical is the extreme high transmissibility, the fact that there is immune evasion and it's critical that we need uh, uh, boost. And this lower severity issue, although it captures a lot of news, I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are sick at home right now. In fact, one of our leading pediatricians, community pediatricians, who is going to speak with us today uh, is sick at home. Uh, the definition of mild COVID disease is, 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 is not the sniffles. I mean, a number of people really, really get sick. And the point that Dr. Fauci made was a smaller fraction of a huge number is still a, a big number. Now, why is this so, so important? Well, when you look at Delta and you compare Delta to Omicron, Delta uh, had 1,000 times the viral load of the Hunan virus or the alpha uh, variant. And then how do we compare Delta with Omicron? Omicron grows 70 times faster in the upper respiratory tract. Those of you that are clinicians know what I mean anatomically. And for those that of you that aren't uh, docs or nurses or respiratory therapists, the, the, the upper respiratory tract are the bronchial areas, the trachea, the back of the throat. It's where the air goes until it gets to uh, the lungs. Interestingly, Omicron grows uh, at 10 times slower in the lungs. And this is why we believe that, uh, that uh, and we're hopeful that this is why it's less severe in some age groups. It's really important for us to recognize that, it, that, that some age groups, because there are a lot, many, many children right now that are on respirators, uh, we've got uh, 400 to 500 to 600% increase in hospitalizations and a huge number in the ICU because uh, kids suffer from these upper respiratory tract issues. Um, those of you that have been with us uh, for our series of uh, Survive and Thrive Guides know that we always emphasize the difference between uh, it, it, when we talk about uh, airborne spread, we have so much misinformation out there where people are saying, oh, well, they got it wrong on masks. No, early on, we did not know um, the transmission route of this virus. We presumed that it was large droplets and large droplets are where um, that gravity exceeds evaporation. So as droplets, larger droplets, more than five microns in size, come out of your mouth in breathing or vigor or singing or, or sneezing or coughing, uh, they'll drop to the ground. However, when we, uh, with this particular virus, uh, aerosol spread is a critical issue and that's where evaporation exceeds gravity and the spread of this virus, not only can it spread 
six, nine, 12 feet, uh, and watch some of our videos, you'll see that you'll see the transmission of these droplets, but it'll hang in the air for a long time. We have many colleagues that have caught this virus in empty rooms that were poorly ventilated where somebody they didn't even know was in the room uh, before them hours later. So this is why it's so important. There's a Washington Post video that we've had posted and we've taken sections of that, highly recommend it, don't have time to go through it today. And we also have a video that we'll be producing and finishing regarding isolation and quarantine that also has some great visuals uh, addressing this issue. Okay, so now let's talk about masks as we talk about Omicron. You're hearing a lot of discussion regarding upgrade your masks. And let's see if we can sort out some of the some of the information there. Our video that we have posted on our website is called uh, Masks and, and it's filter, fit and finish. And what do we mean by filter, fit and finish? We mean that we need to have a very, very good filter. Uh, and that would be the surgical mask or N95 masks but also fit. And I'm gonna share a few of the thoughts here in a couple of slides from Dr. Casey uh, uh, Clements, uh, who I spoke with yesterday, that said there's a lot of confusion about the masks. And uh, we'll, he'll tell us, and, and uh, I'll share with you what he shared with me regarding the, how Mayo has come out on it. And having been on faculty at Mayo and really, uh, and it being the number one ranked hospital in America and having uh, terrific results, I think it's great to listen to what they have to say. Now, the filter is, uh, is, is one issue. The fit is making sure no air escapes around the mask. And then finish is safe removal and cleaning and disposal of that, uh, uh, of that mask. Now, uh, now, what does this mean to you? Well, it means that cloth masks, we have to get rid of the cloth masks. So this is where uh, we maybe deviate from what the CDC is saying. You'll still see, see cloth masks on the CDC website. I think most of the major medical centers realize that cloth masks do not provide enough protection with Omicron. And, uh, and so they've discarded them at the Mayo Clinic. They're, they're, they're not using them. They recommend not using them. And uh, we agree 100%. The surgical masks and the N95 masks are very interesting in that the surgical masks that are that are real surgical masks that are medical grade ASTM level one, level two, level three masks from a from a, a trusted source that is uh, an FDA approved medical or surgical procedure mask is is really a very good protective barrier. It has electrostatic charge. It allows more air to flow through it than the N95 masks that you see on the right. And to get the N95 protection, actually that is supported by the studies, you actually have to have a fit test. Well, how many of us as consumers can get a fit test? I tried just out of interest to see if the local medical center would allow me to get a fit test. I couldn't find anywhere to get a fit test. Now, my family and I use either the surgical masks and prioritize uh, uh, the a 3M mask, have no relationship with 3M, but we get a very, very good fit uh, with it. Uh, however, uh, you'll hear from uh, Dr. Clements here in a minute. Uh, I'll share his thoughts. Now, this is a th this is from a Wall Street uh, Journal article that was from January second, and what you see here is is uh, on one axis uh, are the columns are person not affected wearing a mask and the person infected wearing uh, a mask. And if you've got cloth mask, there's uh, less than 27 minutes, uh, and this was pre Omicron. Some of this data, as Dr. Clement shared with me, is forecasted data. Would we trust it? Absolutely. 
it's forecasted, it's calculated, and there may be some questions on how they uh, identified them. But when you see then the difference in filtration and fit, this is with an N95 mask that is fit tested. And when we look at the surgical masks, we see we have some protection. Now, Dr. Clements shared with me yesterday that he really believes that the surgical mask, if you get a good one, and if you have a good fit or a good option. And the reason is that, um, that uh, if you have a reasonable, reasonably good fit, you might have some air escaping, but you have more air going through the mask. Many, many people do not get a good fit with the N95 mask. This is my son, Charlie, uh, uh, on the screen here wearing both. Um, and uh, we, uh, so the, the issue is again, filter, get the best filter you can to get the best fit you can. It's a combination of filter and fit to make sure that then you uh, take care of it. And the one we always forget about, the one we always forget about is the finish, is to make sure we don't touch the outside surface of that mask. We just don't know right now how much or how clean we need to keep our contact surfaces because we don't really know how Omicron spread. It was just identified in November of this year. This is uh, less than six weeks ago. So I, I recommend that you go to the Mayo Clinic website. They've got some great information regarding masks and recommend that uh, you, uh, you, 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 take a, you take a look at those. So let's move to our next question and then we'll go to our, uh, our reactors. Quarantine, how do I follow the new guidelines? Well, one of the most interesting things is that most people do not realize uh, that, uh, that we have, um, uh, that there's a misunderstanding regarding quarantine and isolation. So what we've tried to do and what we try to do over and over again is we say, well, the, the CDC tells us the what, and then we try to, uh, to, to give you the how. And that is uh, how to accomplish this. So that'll be our goal today uh, to be able to address that. And then with our employers, uh, what we really wanna do is, is have our employers focusing on how to interpret the what and then help advise families uh, as to the how to make sure that they, uh, they follow the how. So uh, we're finishing a video that we'll have posted shortly, which is isolation and quarantine, what's new? We finished it uh, day before yesterday and then yesterday they changed the guidelines again. So uh, what you see before you right now, we just finished this morning. This flow chart likely will change. Uh, it looks a bit like an eye chart, but it has everything laid out. It's very hard for most of us to understand what's going on uh, when we uh, when we read after, uh, read uh, a flat uh, a flat website. I have dyslexia. It's very hard for me. So charting things out really really help. So it, everyone that has a close contact must be uh, must go into isolation. Most will have a positive PCR test. And uh, those that stay in isolation, the big controversy, which we'll cover here shortly, is that it, they did not provide clarity about do you test or do you not test at the end of that five-day period before you might go back to work. They say uh, isolate for five days and then wear a mask for five days. Yesterday, uh, they updated and said, if you wish, you may uh, undertake an antigen test. And if it's positive, you would isolate for five days. Now, for those people that are unvaccinated, there were two options. Uh, if you uh, have a close contact uh, and uh, you must quarantine for five days and mask for five days, if you end up getting a test that's positive, 
you need to go into isolation. But if you can't quarantine at all, wear a mask, a well-fitting mask for 10 days. And these are the recent guidelines that came out on uh, December 27th, just before uh, Christmas. And then we're further updated. I'm going to share the updates with you. What about a close contact for somebody that's been vaccinated who has a booster? Um, un unless you had been vaccinated and had a booster, you don't qualify for this. And that is that you wear a mask around others for 10 days. If you decided to have a test at five days, which is recommended and it was positive, then you would quarantine for another five days. If you ended up having a positive test at, after that quarantine period, an antigen test, you would isolate for five days. So these are the latest guidelines. There's been a lot of confusion over this and uh, uh, we'll, we'll go through this in more detail and we'll cover it a little bit more. So what most people don't understand uh, is that uh, quarantine keeps someone who is in close contact with someone who has uh, COVID-19 away from others. That's keeping away. And th these are the, this is the data from, uh, from uh, uh, right directly from the, web, from the website. Uh, you quarantine if you've been in close contact with someone who has COVID-19 unless you've been fully vaccinated and had the booster. And remember, then you can just wear a mask for 10 days. Um, uh, so, uh, and the, now if we look at the website updated yesterday, they provide the definition of exposure, of being exposed to someone and a close contact, which is uh, an accumulated period of 15 minutes within six feet of somebody who's tested positive, and that could be added together. The exceptions include the K, K through 12. Who does not need quarantine, and this is the, the new addition, um, if you're 18 and older, if you've had, uh, sorry, if you're 18 and older, uh, uh, you, you can wear a, uh, a well-fitting mask, uh, and um, uh, you may, uh, you do not have to quarantine for 10 days, uh, but watch for fever of more than 100.4 degrees. If you do get tested, then you have to immediately isolate it, which we showed on the flowchart. If you do not develop symptoms, get tested at least five days after your last close contact. Uh, if you're negative, wear a mask. Uh, if you're positive, uh, then you would uh, you would you would isolate. So um, uh, now the big controversy is regarding testing, which we'll cover shortly. I won't read everything uh, from the guidelines. I've laid the flowchart out for you, but what I, we've done is tried to provide that to you in the in, in the flowchart and in the uh, and the, the data. We provided all the data on the slide, so you have all of the data from the, or all of the the website uh, of the slides. After quarantine, watch for symptoms until ten days after your last contact. Quarantine in high risk congregate settings are covered there. Uh, and you can go into more detail regarding those that are immunocompromised. Now, isolation, how do I follow those new guidelines? Well, isolation keeps someone who is sick or tested positive without symptoms away from others, even in the home. This is where you've got to develop an isolation room. You have to have a room that keeps uh, you from, be from being close to somebody who's sick, uh, and you need to make sure to have a sick room and a separate bathroom. And we've provided a lot of detail in a web uh, in, in a, a program that we developed uh, with Heather Foster. And we'll share some of her thoughts here before our reaction of our reactor panel. Isolation uh, is, uh, is uh, to spend that five days, that entire five days, 
totally isolated, separate food, separate sleeping, um, separate ventilation if possible, and keep us isolated as possible. And then you would undertake an, an antigen test if you wish. Uh, if it's negative, then you can um, uh, then you can wear a mask for five uh, days. Watch for certain warning signs, which we've covered in prior webinars, and they're on the CDC website. And we know that people that have trouble with breathing, make sure that you know that Omicron uh, can cause this, and Delta is still out there. So we we haven't lost Delta. Delta does cause this terrible uh, reaction in the lungs and the cytokine storm. And then you may end that time period if you're fever free for 24 hours and, and without the use of fever um, uh, fever medicine and you continue to wear a well-fitting mask for that additional five days and the big controversy is around testing which you'll hear in, in, in a bit of a uh, in, in, the, in a video that i'll share with you so if an individual wants to test towards the end of the five-day period this is what was added in the cdc website and you'll see the recommendations that we think make sense uh, uh, after uh, after isolation uh, and when we are thinking about uh, uh, people heading back uh, to work and what can we do. Uh, you can go on the website to look at the immunosuppressed, compromised, and those in high-risk congregate settings. Again, we copied everything from the CDC website. We'll have a video here shortly, probably by Monday, that explains all of this much more in detail uh, so that we can kind of go through that. Uh, and so what we're recommending and what many, uh, many are, not that we're making medical rec recommendations, but the recommendations, let's say, that we really agree with is if you have access to testing, it makes sense to do an antigen test after each of these periods just to make sure that you're not contagious. And we're going to show you a curve that will show that why you may still be contagious after that time period. These what's in green are not CDC recommendations. However, uh, they are consistent with what the CDC has said and many experts. Uh, and remember, if you do get a positive antigen test, then you go back into isolation. We know if you get a positive antigen test, you're contagious. So that, that so that's a reason why we want to be uh, uh, very careful. So what we'll do is, uh, and I know we'll have some thoughts regarding uh, uh, from our, our reactors, but let's hear from Heather Foster, a practicing nurse in, a, in one of our Rocky Mountain states, who is also a nurse uh, infection preventionist and has also helped us develop a whole 90 minute program on how to create an isolation room at home, which we believe that you should do, whether you whether it's Omicron, Delta, or maybe a new variant, the 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 way of creating an isolation room doesn't change. Heather, we really appreciate your contributions to our program today. We know you're so busy. Tell us what Omicron has done to the front line in the rural communities. Well, it's really testing our resilience, Chuck. And um, by the way, thank you for having me today. Um, just as we thought we were kind of finishing or approaching the finish line, uh, we now have a new variant on our hands. Uh, and then we just got to stay true to those guidelines that have never changed. Um, we just can't relax um, at the front line right now. As we talk about masks, we now know that Omicron is very, very transmissible. And all of us really need to upgrade not only our masks, but our best practice using them. Do you want to reinforce that for all of us? Well, well certainly. I think as frontline front healthcare workers, we've been dealing this, uh, with this for decades, right? We, we had the flu, we have different variants of flu. 
And we've always known to, to wear a surgical mask when we enter those patients' rooms. So that hasn't changed, uh, um, well, at least for us it hasn't. When we enter those rooms, we wear our N95s. And so now that those are more accessible for the public, I'm definitely going to advocate for surgical masks, and if not N95s when they're out and about. And N95s if you could possibly do it. And we talk about right. the filter, the fit, the finish, and I know you really want to reinforce that message with us. Best filter, but you got to have a good fit with no air escaping, and then don't touch the mask after. Is that right? Correct, correct. I think we have, um, we've seen that from the start of COVID, a lot of people walking around with cloth masks. I, for one, have witnessed patients coming in and I can tell those masks have not been washed for, for a long time. Um, the surgical masks, in my opinion, especially in my area, have become a lot more affordable. If you can reuse them, reuse them, toss them. If you, if you obviously cannot get your hands on them, laundry uh, mat those masks daily and, and with the disinfectant and then obviously your N95 if they're accessible. Um, if, if you're out and about, put them on your dash. Uh, the sun has got properties uh, to, to disinfect masks. So do that. But again, less handling of masks is, is your better option. And the first minute I walk in with my kids, when we've been out, we wash our hands. It's just, it's just kind of common practice for us when we, when we come home. Because we're not sure yet with Omicron how much transmissibility there is with high contact surfaces. It's so new to us. It was just in November when it started to right. hit, hit the streets. Let's shift gears for a minute to quarantine and isolation. Many people use those terms interchangeably. Right. Do you want to help us understand that isolation is a pretty serious thing that you need to do at home? Yes, isolation, especially in a, a, a big family, you really want to stay away from that individual, isolate them to one part of the house where they're having um, accessibility to a bathroom, and, and just that's, that's it, isolate. It's very difficult to do, but it is doable. Uh, quarantine is you just you stay in your home and you don't have the stringent measures isolation um, has. Um, as you know, it's kind of confusing the, the data out there right now as to how long we stay home, how long we stay in isolation, especially for your essential workers. But like we say, you can never be too careful. Great. We want to thank you for the very detailed approach that you took uh, with Dr. Boats and others regarding preparing an isolation room at home. Is it fair to say that really nothing has changed? Maybe our concern about high contact surfaces might have dropped a little bit, but on the other side, aerosol risk, ventilation has gone up as a hazard. Anything that we would do very much differently? I don't see that much, but I just want to check with you. I, I don't think so. Um, when I'm in the hospital setting, I take uh, my, uh, we use cabicide wipes, um, and I just go into my room and I, I touch all the high touch surfaces. Uh, a lot of our patients can't reach the bathroom, so I'm gonna wipe down the commode. I'm gonna wipe down their bedside table. I'm gonna wipe down their, their call light, something that they're continually using. Because when they're in that room, they're coughing in their hands, they're coughing, they're coughing out into that room, even though they're in a, uh, a room with a scrubber or they have reverse isolation measures, those, those droplets are still being emitted. So I, I wipe my surfaces in my home. I think a lot of us do that anyway, um, just continue to do that. Um, 
the other thing I can stress is just continue with those measures we've been talking about since the beginning of COVID. I know we're so tired. I know that we're, we're ready to get over this pandemic, but if we can just stick to, to our guns, I think the sooner the better we're gonna get, we're gonna get through this intact. So many people have lapsed in getting the booster. They got had maybe the, the two shots or the first and second shots of Pfizer and Moderna and one shot with J&J, but have kind of dragged their feet thinking COVID's gone away and haven't got the booster. Can you make the strongest case for getting that booster? We know that uh, immunity wanes uh, uh, dramatically over time. Uh, correct. It, it has for other diseases as well. Um, we know that. I, for one, personally, my, my sister who has an autoimmune disorder and is high risk uh, for pulmonary complications, immediately got the vaccine, got the booster, and just this week informed me she had COVID. And however, she is, she's sailing, she's doing great. She just feels like she has a very bad cold. So I'm grateful that she is at least protected. Um, however, those that I've taken care of that did not get the vaccine, we're singing a different tune at about day 12 of their, their disease process. They were just wanting to know when they can get out and get the, the vaccine. Um, and you, so you see people pretty sick if they've not been vaccinated. People been, are yeah. misinterpreting and, and saying, oh, it's not that severe. If you're unvaccinated, it's pretty darn severe. Is that a fair statement? It's very, it's very severe. They don't, you know, I think one thing, patients, when they come in, they don't realize how long they're going to be in the hospital for. And so right now we, we kind of had this little powwow amongst ourselves a, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things we're telling our patients, um, albeit we're trying not to scare them, is, you know, just anticipate being here for a good two weeks. And at first they're shocked when they hear that. And that, that's on a good, that's, that's if somebody responds well to treatment and, and gets to go home. Um, so with that being said, We've seen a vast majority of those patients saying, when can I get the vaccine? They realize midway through. And, you know, no condemnation. I think a lot of people are, are scared. There was a lot of misinformation out there in the beginning. So considering our, our humanness, um, we, we just kind of walk them through it and we get them set up um, as, as, as they heal. Thank you so much. Uh, you've just done such a great job of really helping lead us through this uh, difficult time and that uh, the COVID fatigue has hit all of us, we know. But the vigilance that we need to have about ventilation now is, is, is critical. Um, right. Traveling in the car, not carpooling, not allowing the kids to be around other kids where we're telling them don't dare share air. Uh, okay. What case do you make to your teenagers? I've got one, you've got teenagers. How do we make the case to our teenagers to, to don't dare share air and know that they might be hurting somebody else? They, they might get a mild case, but grandma or right. grandpa and the, the unvaccinated or uh, those that are immunocompromised could get very sick. Right. And I think that's the message I try to drive home with my kids. They know that they might not get sick. They, they must probably have, have had COVID. We don't know that. Um, it's about others, right? We, we want to protect the vulnerable and those that are unable to receive the vaccine. 
Um, again, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I live in an area where we, we're not overly populated down here. We get out a lot. We um, have a solar designed home, so we have no central air. Right now I have the window open and it's there's snow on the ground, <laughs> but it's great. I'm able to do that. Not everyone's able to do that. Um, I just try to pass that information on as much as I can. Just had some friends recently that said, what else can we do? I said, open your home up for 15 minutes a day. Um, if not twice a day, morning and night, they had COVID in their home and they did not know that. <clears throat> so um, using um, or refraining from, from fans that might emit that virus too. So just let me, you know, open it on one side and open your home on the other. So little things like that, Chuck. And, and teenagers, you know, they're, they're difficult. I had a daughter this week, we went to the mall and she refused to wear a mask. Um, I, I I just try to be patient and love her where she's at and try and remind her, hey, this is not just about you. So, um, and hopefully in time that they'll, they'll get it. Well, I, every day we use the term love them through it and you, okay. I, you and I have used it meeting challenges together. And so uh, uh, Heather, we're so grateful for your support for having uh, done such an enormous amount of work on the uh, creating the isolation room at home. And uh, we look forward to helping people get through the balance of the, this year. So uh, thank you again. You've been a wonderful contributor and we can't thank you enough. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you, Chuck. So that's the message from, uh, from Heather. Uh, we're so grateful to have, uh, have uh, uh, her on our team. Uh, so we're going to go to our, our responder, our, our, our reactors. However, we wanted to make sure since we did talk about testing, let's just do a quick, take a quick look at testing. So three different tests, the PCR test, which is the RT-PCR test, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the gold standard, the antigen test, and then also the NAAT, the nuclear amplification tests that now you're seeing that are almost as good as the PCR tests that can be actually done at home or can be done in different locations. And I'll come back to this curve here in a minute, but it's important that we're talking about um, the antigen test as the test to use for isolation and quarantine and not confuse that with the PCR test. And then uh, the, the uh, NAAT test, which you'll hear more about, are readers that you can have at home, take some time, pretty expensive, but they actually can, uh, they actually are very similar to the PCR test. Now, what do we need to know about this testing that is really important, that's really practical, not just the geeky stuff, but what's really important? Well, let's look at the threshold for the PCR test. This dashed line is the PCR threshold. Guess what? Uh, before you're infectious, look at the red zone where we're infectious. The PCR test can be positive before you're infectious because that's this red line right here. Uh, the, the other really important factor is this whole time period afterwards, the PCR test, the PCR test can actually find remnants of the virus. So you'll have a positive PCR. You say, well, gosh, why is my antigen test negative, but the PCR test is positive? Well, there are pieces of virus that are still floating around in your system, but not a full virus that can infect somebody. That's why this and they call it a lateral flow antigen 
test, the, the little uh, test that you, like a pregnancy test that you do at home, either with saliva or with a, a, a nasal swab, um, actually is probably the best way to know whether you're infectious. And this is the test that is recommended to do at day five of isolation. And what many of the leaders, many of the scientists, if we have a moment after our reactors, I'll show a video clip from Dr. Mena, who's a, a, a top researcher and expert in this field. Um, what we need to remember is it's the antigen test that is the test that is uh, po positive for uh, being contagious. And so why do we need to know that? Because that's the test when we're going to go see grandma, we're going to go to a party, we're going to be at a function with people. This is the test you want to take uh, minutes or an hour before you go to the party. It may turn positive in three or four hours, but at least for a short time period, uh, you're absolutely not contagious. And this is where a lot of the confusion arises. So let me first go to Chief Adcox. Uh, Chief, um, react to what you heard about some of this confusion. You're a big employer. You're taking care of 20,000 people. Uh, you're one of our leaders in threat safety science. You've been right all along the way, been a speaker and reactor. Uh, lots of confusion about isolation, quarantine. We can kind of sort it out and use testing, but you're at one of the top centers in the world. What's your message to essential workers and other leaders and security? Well, thank you very much, Dr. Denham. Uh, yeah, there is some confusion uh, that's been put out and continues to be put out. I think that you just follow the, the real guidances, get vaccinated, get your booster, uh, make sure you're using a good quality mask at all times. If you can, if you make sure that it's a, it's a uh, uh, NIOSH uh, reputable manufacturer, uh, at least surgical mask, uh, if you can, if you can double mask, that'd be great too, depending on what what you're doing at the time. If you have access to a good quality N95, I'd use that. Uh, our first responders, when they're not in the hospital, we require them to wear the N95, especially if you're out and about with, with contact with the general public. We deal a lot with uh, individuals that are transient or homeless and uh, things like that. So we wanna make sure that, that the personnel are protected as well as uh, the individuals we're having contact with. But in the hospital, since everybody is screened and all, and not to, to be an outlier, they obviously will use the, the top-rated surgical mask. Um, and then make sure that if, as much as you can, have some distancing. Make sure you avoid uh, being in crowded places for any uh, length of time, things of that nature. Um, I, I am still a little bit confused on the testing. I, I, I do recommend, if at all possible, after you have five days, you know, if you can. You know, I know they say it's optional, but I, I think it's... I'm not making a recommendation. I think for me personally, I would try to get tested uh, for before going into the next five days of being at work. Uh, but it, but we, we work particularly in a very, very uh, immune compromised population of our patients. We are not going to take any chances. You know, we're going to, we're going to exceed any of the standards in, in every, met, any, every method there is. And, you know, that's just a given. Not everyone can do that but we recommend that you take all the safety precautions. So again, vaccinations, good quality masks, distancing, avoid public areas. If there's any doubt, go ahead and isolate yourself at your home and just protect yourself and others. 
Thank you very much, Chief. I really appreciate it. We'll be coming back to you here uh, pretty quickly. Uh, 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 can we get uh, your opinion, Randy Steiner? Randy is uh, head of a, a, a emergency response at the University of California, Irvine, uh, longtime collaborator, terrific uh, leader, uh, and uh, you've spent a lifetime kind of focused on uh, being uh, prepared for emergencies. What's your take on uh, not only the, this confusion regarding quarantine and isolation, but how do we protect, you're protecting a ton of people at the University of California, Irvine. What's your take on where we are and what we can do? Thanks, Chuck, and thanks again for, for having me on the on the show here. Um, yeah, you know, following, making sense of the guidance, especially now is, you know, guidance is becoming very complicated. We're having, having an issue right now about masks in general and CDC guidance and Cal OSHA guidance on, you know, that a mask, if light gets through it, that's not an effective mask. And what does that mean? What kind of light? You know, so there's some some rather uh, ambiguous guidance going out there that can, you know, is causing some confusion. Um, you know, I, I go back to what Chief Adcock said is, you know, just get get quality equipment in general, you know, make sure that you have a good mask, make sure that your masks are approved and, you know, you'll be protected under all the circumstances. Of course, you know, the guidance for, for uh, quarantine and isolation is, is constantly shifting. This is, you know, we just have to remember, you know, it's, and, and people get frustrated and I get that. And I understand, you know, the frustration and people want good information, but this is a, a, a continually evolving uh, situation. It has been, it's an evolving virus. You know, we're going through variants and variants and variants and every variant has a different level of, of protection that we need to, to, uh, to address or, or new things are being learned about this virus or the pandemic in general. We just have to be flexible. Flexibility, you know, we say in the Marine Corps, Semper Gumby, that is the unofficial motto of the Marine Corps, always flexible. And that's what we have to be as a society. We really need to understand, you know, we're, yeah, we're all tired. We're burnt out. We want this to be done. It's been two years and we're just, you know, we want to go back to our lives and normalcy, whatever that means. But like I've been saying in the other other programs, you know, this, this is up to the virus. The virus is in control here. You know, no no political ideology, no hope, no you know, <laughs> nothing we do or say as people are going to change the course of of what this virus can do or what it will become. But we can protect ourselves. And the you know, Chuck, to go back in, you know, with the guidance, it's the confusions being created. This the 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 basic principles of protection still work. You know, like you said, the vaccination is obviously the key uh, to, you know, to ending this pandemic eventually and getting vaccinated. You know, even, you know, it's been shown time and time again that if you're infected with Omicron, if you're vaccinated, you've got a good chance of just getting a mild illness and, and, and moving on with it. Where unvaccinated people are still getting, you know, especially children now are, are getting very sick, still getting very sick and hospitalized and many are still dying. Um, so vaccinations, you know, are, are really the... You, we have to have to continue to push the science and the, the message of that and try to convert the people that are, are hesitant to those for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, masking of any kind still works. Obviously, back to Chief Adcox, you know, make sure you, you have good, good masks and masks that are used, always getting a good quality surgical mask or N95s. You're never going to go wrong with that. But continuing that mask in any circumstances, you know, going into a store, even if people aren't wearing masks, wearing that mask is not only going to protect yourself, but it's going to protect other people. And that's what this is all about. You know, that's what we have to remember is our actions throughout this pandemic are to protect others, you know, from what we may carry, you know, as well as protecting ourselves. But we really have to 
have to keep looking out for each other and, and keep moving forward. You know, UCI, where our, our case are going up, we went to, uh, you know, um, remote learning for the first two weeks in advance of the of the pandemic prior, prior to our, our Christmas break, our, our leadership made that decision, seeing what was on the horizon. There's good chance that's going to be extended, although we haven't got word on that. Staffing, we're still doing a, a lot of remote staffing. We're doing what we can to, to, to keep the, the virus levels down. But it's we still have people on campus. We still have people who are getting sick. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're having the same issues as everybody is with uh, testing supplies. Uh, you know, the testing supplies is uh, uh, a little uh, low right now. We're hoping that can get back up and we can and continue testing. Although on the, the first day of, of our camps opening on the third, we uh, we did more tests that day than uh, we ever have. We did, I think, over 1,500 tests in a single day on campus. So people are are still getting tested and, and making sure so. But I really just think we should keep going back to the basics. You know, that's we, we know what to do to protect ourselves. Wash your hands, cover your cough, stay at home if you're sick, get a vaccination if you can. And if you go out in the public, protect other people, wear a mask. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. I really appreciate it. We're going to come back to you here as we, when we close. Uh, Danny Policicio, uh, uh, would you please uh, kind of help us address this younger group? Not only that, you know, you interact a lot with high school students. You're still really a nice, a wonderful mentor for them. But you're at NYU with college students. You're living in a pretty population dense community. Um, what strategies can we take to get people to recognize that this is, although it's less severe, that this is a big issue and that we could be a super spreader uh, and we could really harm a lot of people, especially kids and those immunocompromised and adults? Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Denham, for having me here today. And uh, I just would like to echo uh, both what Mr. Adcox and uh, Mr. Steiner said. Uh, just, you know, how important N95 masks are and making sure you have the best at what you could acquire. Um, but, you know, when it comes to uh, making sure the younger people know, um, I think NYU has done a great job with it. Uh, as we have to be, you know, we have to have our booster to be like go inside buildings, as well as uh, we have a very strict mask policy, which uh, thankfully has kind of went out into the community around NYU. And um, for the Greenwich Village area and a lot of the uh, other Southern Manhattan, it's very, very max focused. You cannot go inside places without wearing masks or showing your Vax card. And uh, I think if we kind of build upon that and just kind of keep pushing that out, it'll definitely help, uh, for lack of a better word, squash the virus. Thank you, Danny. I'm going to come back to you guys in just a minute, along with uh, with uh, Jenny. Uh, but what I wanted to do is just take you take you all uh, uh, through uh, uh, a little bit more of what we uh, had to talk about, and that is breakthrough infections. So, what do I do if I've been vaccinated and I have a breakthrough infection? Uh, it's important to realize for all of us. Uh, that if we do have a breakthrough infection, uh, and whether we're vaccinated or not, these are the leading causes of emergency death that you see. So, uh, so the, the the breakthrough infection uh, uh, is something that uh, we all are going to deal with. And we'll just come back to this uh, this graphic that I sketched up on. Uh, the breakthrough infection is down uh, is is the person that is vaccinated or boosted. Uh, uh, here and what I'll do is uh, is is I'll uh, 
I'll erase the, uh, I'll, I'll erase the sketching uh, and then reproject it for uh, all of you just so that we can look at it again. Uh, the breakthrough infection is the person that's been vaccinated. And if we get a positive, uh, if we develop symptoms and have a test or have a test at the end of a quarantine period that is positive, we've got to go into isolation and really stay away from everyone because we will, with this breakthrough infection, we are community, we, we are contagious, we can have an impact on others. And, uh, and it can be pretty serious. So we wanna make sure that that is something that we're, we're being very careful about, even though we might be vaccinated and double boosted. Now, what about family emergencies? What, uh, how would we handle, uh, how do we handle the family emergencies and how would we tackle our family gatherings? And the issue is um, uh, when we go to uh, our family lifeguard program and uh, because of time today, our live program will be 90 minutes. Uh, we'll have a longer session addressing the latest on the family lifeguard or um, the checklist that was created uh, uh, two Thanksgivings ago uh, by, uh, by Charlie Denham, my son, and uh, the award-winning teacher, David Bash. Um, uh, this is a shot of uh, Charlie's uh, Charlie's emergency rescue station here uh, on the on the uh, at, at the beach, focused on um, on addressing those uh, leading causes of death with automatic defibrillators, uh, the uh, stop the bleed kits, what to do for spine issues, and that kind of thing. This is uh, just to acknowledge Danny, 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 and uh, David Besh were two winners. Uh, they have uh, saved a life each uh, out in the community. And we want to thank you, Danny, for your contribution uh, to saving a life from what uh, you learned with MedTech. But as we kind of focus on the family, which David Besh really helped champion, the chief family officer, uh, what we could do as we go forward is have somebody in the family really focus on the family plan and help the family understand that we're not through it yet, that we have to really focus on the fundamentals that you all were uh, talking about. And the holiday huddle checklist uh, that we put together really hasn't changed very much other than as we look at uh, what we would want to do is to make sure we know who is vaccinated and who is not and how big a risk that we have to be together. Uh, we want to focus on those four pillars that have been really uh, critical, keeping distance, hand washing, disinfecting uh, surfaces, and we've talked ad nauseum about the masks today. Uh, Charlie really developed this uh, and tested it uh, uh, two Thanksgivings ago. It's been now deployed uh, to tens of thousands of families. Uh, and um, before an event, there are certain tasks that we should follow. But we want to know who's vaccinated, who's been boosted, who's immune compromised, so that we can really be kind of customize our gathering uh, focused on ventilation and this, uh, this term, phrase that we use, don't dare share air. As we go forward and we look at uh, how we should return to work, let's go back to the flow chart again that, we, that, that we've marked up. If, if, uh, if someone has a test positive, no matter who they are, no matter whether you're vaccinated or not, it's really simple, five days of isolation. Um, and then the CDC recommended the option of doing a test. I think all of us that are in healthcare would say, get a test to find out if you're contagious or not. And if you're contagious, another five days, not risking anybody else. It's not required, but, uh, but, but that's something that, 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 that we definitely would agree with. 
For those that are vaccinated, that's the breakthrough infection. And uh, for those that, uh, that, that and if they have a close contact and haven't had a breakthrough infection, 10 days of a mask. If you're tested and you get symptoms and you test yourself, even though you're fully vaccinated, fully boosted, and you end up positive, you gotta go into isolation. The thing that all of us need to remember is, if you test positive, you go into isolation. It's that simple. Uh, for those that are unvaccinated, they've provided some real variability for us to be able to get back to work. Uh, but again, I think most of us in healthcare uh, would 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 have a bias, as as Chief Adcock said, a bias for for going the extra mile and really focusing on that uh, on that test. So we've attempted in the the 90 minutes of our live broadcast to cover these questions. We want to draw the attention for those of you that are watching a much bigger group watching the recorded versions. You can watch longer segments and and take your time that will be focused on these topics and so for those of you that want to come back there'll be more there and there'll also be the video that addresses what's new on uh on on quarantine and isolation which is a videotape that we had finished as of yesterday and yet we all we we have these uh uh we have things kind of pop up uh, uh in the last two days regarding uh, uh what's going on so what what i want to do i we i do have the time to be able to share one more videotape uh, with you uh, uh, from Dr. Uh, Mena, one of the leaders, and Dr. Rainey. Uh, so Dr. Mena is from Harvard. Dr. Rainey is from uh, Brown University, emergency medicine doctor. And then we'll come back to our reactors to finish. Well, joining me now to discuss Dr. Megan Rainey, an emergency physician and associate dean of public health at Brown University, and Dr. Michael Mena. He's the chief science officer at eMed, a healthcare company that provides at-home COVID testing. Welcome, both of you. Uh, Dr. Rainey, let's begin with Chicago Public Schools canceling classes today after teachers, teachers voted to go virtual. Uh, more districts across the country are going remote, or at least they're delaying the return to class due to these ongoing surges. Earlier this morning, Dr. Lena Wen said that if teachers are vaccinated and boosted and if they're wearing a high quality mask, their chances of contracting COVID are very low and that the cost of closing schools altogether for students is just too high. Do you agree with her? So I think that our priority needs to be keeping kids in school. And we are in a very different situation now than we were a year ago, much less two years ago. Vaccinations, masks, ventilation, and of course, testing are all critical parts of keeping schools open, keeping kids and teachers safe. But it's also about keeping down community spread. The reality is when COVID is out of control in a community, we're gonna have too many teachers and support staff who are sick to be able to keep schools open safely. So it's a combination of both making sure that our schools are equipped to be safe. And I will say, Biana, I have chosen to send both of my children to my public school system because I do trust the measures that we've put in place. There's certainly a chance of exposure for them and for their teachers, but the chance of them getting seriously ill is low with that combination of vaccinations and masks. But we also need to prioritize the kids and the teachers by doing things in the larger community to keep cases down. Yeah, listen, it's all about the risks, right? And there's always a risk in sending kids to school. Now, I got my kids an N95 mask. They were wearing cloth masks before, but now we see that Omicron spread is much more transmissible, so, so they're wearing new masks. Um, Dr. Minna, what role should testing play in keeping children in class right now? In some cities like New York, it's not mandatory. In Los Angeles, they are, they are requiring that students get tested before they come back to class. What role do you think that, that should play? 
so whether whether we close down schools is ultimately going to be in some ways uh, you know it's going to be driven societally about what risks society is willing to take at the moment um, but in general closing down schools just like the rest of of this pandemic is an information problem and that information problem is that we don't know who's positive when and so we end up closing things down or we quarantine people because we don't know if they are infected uh, but rapid tests are a good solution to this problem because we can know with very high accuracy if somebody who's walking into school is positive and infectious uh, before they do so and so that's the whole idea of test to stay programs we don't have to close things down i personally don't feel we should be closing schools again uh, we can't we do have the tools whether it's through masks uh, of course the vaccines are helping uh, and of course if we have testing before school for kids who are at high risk uh, or just more generally for students before they enter school especially at the beginning of the year uh, we can keep outbreaks to a minimum in these environments well, let me ask you about that, because as you know, there's a lot of confusion uh, about what we're hearing out of the CDC, the CDC just updating its isolation guidance. And it does not include a testing requirement, but it does say that people can test after five days if they would like. Dr. Mina, as you just said, you're a proponent of rapid tests. How big of a difference do you think it would make for the trajectory of the surge if the CDC would just require a rapid test to, to get out of isolation after those five days? Well, if we look at all sectors of society, the, the, there is one population which is clearly the highest risk for spreading the virus. And those are people who are known to be infected. And so a large fraction of them are still infectious at five days after their symptom onset, especially with this variant. And so we have to be cognizant of, of saying, if we know people are already infectious, have at the very least try to do everything we can to stop those individuals who are extremely high risk of spreading to others from doing so. And so I, I think we should have testing as a part of that. Unfortunately, the CDC is uh, painted a bit into a corner because they have trouble creating guidance uh, around tools that unfortunately the U.S. has had trouble actually making accessible to, to our country. So this, uh, so let's, uh, let's now uh, move to uh, our uh, closing comments from everyone. Uh, it, has, uh, it, it has really been uh, uh, terrific having all of you uh, on board. I'd like to go to Jenny first and then Jenny again at the end. So she has two chances to comment. Anything that you want to uh, comment on Jenny and then I'll come back to you at the very end of our uh, uh, reactor session. Jenny, any comments as a patient safety expert? Um, you know, this has just been a really super great um, webinar. I did have a question, though, with regard to the variants. Um, are some variants more likely than others to harm the vaccinated? And if so, how can you find out what variant you have? Because folks in my town have been tested, but they are not told what variant they have. What a great question, Jenny. You're always really insightful. So not all the those that so so anybody that has an antigen test clearly are not going to get what we call genetic sequencing. So you won't know if you do a home test. If you do a PCR test, it depends on whether the laboratory is actually doing genetic sequencing, which means they take 
what they the sample and they identify whether it is the uh, omicron delta alpha whether it's uh, any of the variants and not all of them are sequenced only a, a portion of them are so uh, so you won't know unless they tell you and what's happening is the majority many of the tests right now are home tests so they're not even going into laboratories, not being reported to the public health department, and then in turn not reported to the CDC. So that's one thing. The second is this evasion of immunity, which was the first part of your question. And we do know that uh, the early data shows that Omicron does have some properties that make it uh, evade uh, the antibody reaction. And many uh, people are waiting to see how much it actually does evade it um, it also Omicron, the little the little spike, the little fingers that attach to the AC2 receptor on the cells of your body are are more uh, more likely to clamp onto it than um, than than Delta. So immune evasion, yes. Do we know how much? Not yet. Uh, and the genetic sequencing is kind of depends on uh, on where you are, and it would only be done with the PCR test, not the NAAT test. But the PCR test in a laboratory. Uh, Chief Adcox, your 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 final comments. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that one of the uh, person on the last video was talking about uh, testing, and the reason that CDC probably doesn't put out guidelines is because you can put out guidelines to be tested, but there's no testing capabilities uh, that are that are pretty consistent across the country, and it would cause more harm. So that, that's a good point because here in the Houston area, we've had federal officials call for uh, the Federal uh, Bureau of Investigation to go out and check these pop-up sites that are doing testing, little tents, because they're not regulated and, and, and a lot of them are just, are just not on the level and they're, they're, there's some fraud going on. So because we can't get enough testing, we're seeing a bunch of pop-ups and some people that are going and thinking they're getting tested or, or they're actually getting charged and, and not getting a test result. It's a really terrible situation that's going on. In addition to that, you're, you're hearing a lot more about uh, physicians and emergency centers and hospitals are, are seeing more patients with COVID than treating patients uh, for COVID. In other words, you know, people are even going to the emergency room as a testing site, just trying to get some help is causing the, the emergency rooms to be packed and full. And then there's also because of the less severity, there are people going in for thinking they have other symptoms and other things. And then when they get tested, they actually have COVID. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a tough situation. But I will say that even though it's less severe, more people are catching it. Therefore, you're going to see just sheer numbers. Uh, more people are going to end up looking for medical treatment and medical help. And it's overwhelming and already short hospital system. Because remember, your hospital employees are getting it too. And so we're, we're, everybody across the board is seeing shortages. So I would just tell you, please follow the guidance, look at the webinars, understand what symptoms you need to have before you go to the doctor, what you should do when you do go to the emergency room. Uh, we have all the information on the website and it would help everybody. But again, get your vaccinations, your boosters, keep a good quality mask, and try to do your distancing and, and, and just keep safe. Thank you, Chief. Uh, uh, um, Randy, can you can you frame the things that you, if you had one message to give to the college students and the leaders at universities, since you're a professional emergency response leader, what would that message be? 
think primarily, you know, I, I would, I would, you know, parrot what Chief Adcock said about, you know, staying with the basics and going back to the, the protective measures that we all know. Really, you know, more than anything is, is, you know, take care of yourself and your own mental health in this whole thing. You know, we're stuck, you know, a lot of times when we're isolated and we're by ourselves, either in our dorm rooms or at our homes or in our offices, you know, we lose track that, that we're all going through this thing together. And, and you know, that we, we're all doing it as, as, a, as, a, as a, 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 not just a country or a society, but as an entire world, you know, globally. And, you know, it's, it's easy to lose sight of that when, you know, you're isolated and, and, and by yourself. So, you know, take care of yourself and, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to get outside, go for a walk, you know, as and making sure that your your interactions with others are being done safely, or picking up a guitar and and strumming some chords, or doing what you need to do to 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 remember that there's other things that are going on, you know, out there in life, not just the you know the 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 doom scrolling that we tend to do when we're sitting in front of our computers or watching the TV of all the horrible things that are going on in the world. There's still a beautiful world out there. Um, get out there and enjoy. It. Get some fresh air. And just take care of yourself and understand that, you know, we're all going through the same thing. We're here for each other. Be there for other people and, uh, and, and take care of yourself. We're going to get through this. Our country is going to get through this. Our world is going to get through this. This pandemic will end. We just got to get there. We're, we're, we're going to. We're going to get there together. You know, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for uh, uh, for commenting on that and the mental health issue. Chief, I'm going to come back to you. Uh, we'll go over a minute or so and come to Danny to kind of be our anchor man before we come back to uh, to uh, talk to Jenny. Chief, you and I have talked about this amazing growth in crime right now that is, I think, a byproduct of this enormous stress. And then one of the areas, uh, uh, Randy, that is just an absolute crisis, and it's really important to you, Danny, at uh, NYU and our colleges, is, are the opioid overdoses are just off the charts. They, 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 if we think Omicron's growing, just take a look at the number of deaths a day uh, from opioids. Chief, you just want to help frame what's going on in terms of the crime issues and making sure that we're careful there and also opioid. Then we'll go to Danny and then we'll go to Jennifer. Well, it's the perfect storm, as they say. I mean, you have uh, the stress and the anxieties and the pressures and the, uh, the changes in the dynamics in the workplace, uh, particularly in different socioeconomic areas. Um, it's, it's just a bad situation. You have, uh, you even have the social uh, injustice uh, issues. Uh, you have issues with, with police departments and law enforcement that are losing employees left and right. You have it to where you're you're less uh, you're seeing police departments that are not as as um, their officers are not uh, making as much contact because of the of the COVID issue uh, the, and they're only responding to calls and so forth and so you have this population kinetics where things have changed more people working from home so you're seeing less of certain types of crime but more of violent crimes the 12 largest cities have seen all time highs now and certain crime, particularly like homicides. Um, it's unbelievable how they've grown in the last two years since COVID. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a perfect storm that, that we have going on right now. There's not one area that you can put the blame on it. We just have to come together. Uh, as Randy says, as a society, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to do the right thing, uh, particularly looking at mental health. Uh, this, the, 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 the opiate, uh, situation is, is, is horrendous. And because it's being kind of, um, uh, it's not on the forefront anymore, 
because of COVID and because of the situation with COVID and because of the homicide spikes. So you're hearing about a lot of different things, but opiate uh, deaths are off the chart. And, uh, you know, we're just hopeful that all police departments and first responders are carrying Narcan, uh, Narcan and, uh, and now they're having to use, because of the power of the synthetic opiates, they're having to use more than one dose uh, to try to save lives. And I got to tell you, you know, we, we're, you know, we're at a crossroads here. If we don't come together as a society and as, as a community and really push, you know, you know, come together and push together, um, this is going to be a terrible situation for a long time. And so, um, yeah, thank you for bringing up the opiate issue because it is critical, but it's a perfect storm, and we need to we need to you know put our put our political philosophies and 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 feelings aside, and let's just do what's right and push forward. Let's follow the science. Let's care about our fellow human being. Let's be good human beings, good people, and let's do the right thing and push together. We're, we will. We'll get through it. But boy, if we don't do that, we're going to have a real tough road for many years ahead. Well, thank you, Chief. Thank you so much. And then, Danny, going to you, you know, uh, uh, we've got a real challenge in our young people, with young people. We see that the suicide rates in young uh, women, uh, high school, college uh, students has gone just so high. And we also know that uh, you guys are really challenged by the stress of having to, to uh, commute back and forth to college. And then you've got uh, all the coursework and that kind of thing. Um, any comments or thoughts you want to share with our audience about what you're seeing at uh, NYU and, and the great universities and, uh, and what you're seeing in your, in your, your group of individuals? Uh, yes, sir. I uh, just want to say thank you again. But uh, just kind of going back into it, it is a very stressful time, especially as right before... Uh, the holidays, everyone had finals and everything else like that. And just the added stress of COVID and people unsure if they're going to be back on campus or going to be online. And just the best thing I could say is it's a community. Everyone else is feeling the stress and please feel free to reach out to your friends, to your family. Do not be afraid to talk about it as many people are sharing the same experiences and, you know, sharing it with your community definitely help um, ease some of the burden. Well, great. Well, listen, Danny, thank you for your commitment. And uh, uh, it's always an honor to have you on. And always remember, you saved a life in New York City with what you learned from MedTech. So I know it, that gives uh, Chief Adcox and I, I can see a smile, a little quiver in our liver to remember that when we started MedTech, who, you know, who knew we'd know somebody that uh, was one of our instructors that saved a life. And so we're, we're really honored to, to have you on. Uh, Jenny, we're going to have you close us with your comments and uh, we'll uh, finish things off. We want to draw everyone's attention that are watching right now that we are going to have longer clips and more detail as this uh, isolation quarantine uh, issue evolves. We've got a whole program on that that's being updated uh, as of uh, today. Go ahead, Jenny. Thank you, Dr. Denham. This was a very informative and wonderful webinar, just as all of them are. I want to thank our speakers for all of their knowledge and wisdom. Um, Happy New Year to everyone. And again, please share the videos with your colleagues, coworkers, friends, family, and watch it again and watch some of the other portions uh, about COVID because they're very important. And even with the different variants, they're still very pertinent. Again, I urge you to please wear a mask, uh, get vaccinated, um, keep social distance, and let's all do our best to try to get through this together. Happy New Year to all, and God bless.
Thank you, Jenny, and uh, uh, you all will be in our prayers, and we thank you for the great contributions. Thank you all, uh, our reactors, and those that will be recorded. We know that we have additional recordings from some that are sick right now with COVID that will be added to the program. So we look forward to uh, seeing you next month. Thanks, Jack.